to X-Rated. My name is Ryan Whedon. I'm your host. And my guest today is, uh, is Matt Fisher. He's been on every episode so far and uh, does the heavy lifting on the uh, snarky commentary. Say hello, Matt. Hello. It's good to be here. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Great. Great. Over there is a man who needs no introduction. My neighbor, Ben. <laughs> oh. Don't worry. We'll, we'll keep it down this time. So, today I just feel like hopping in. What about you? You know, I'm uh, I'm ready to talk about James Bond and the things that surround him. I I you know, I'm I'm ready to go all in on this. So, today our beverage of choice, while well, uh, a standard for us is either cheap beer or rosé. Mhm. In honor of James Bond, I made some uh, martinis for us today. Yeah, I'm excited. Cheers. So, cheers. Hope the mic caught that noise. Oh, I'm sure. So, if you'll notice from the sip, this is a gin martini. Oh, yeah. That's quite good. James Bond orders his martini, Russian vodka, shaken, shaken. not stirred. It's just wrong. Now, I have my own opinions on martinis, mm-hmm. but I would like to know, because you are a licensed mixologist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what do you find right or wrong with his specific type of martini? Well, I mean... I'm not a big vodka martini fan. Mm-hmm. Vodka's just there to get you drunk. Let's be honest. It's a spirit that doesn't taste like anything, or it's supposed to not taste like anything. So really what you're getting is a vermouth fart martini there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always think it's funny when people order extra dry martinis, vodka martinis, because then you're basically just getting cold vodka. Yeah. So that's fine that's fine i like gin because i like the flavor of gin you don't like the flavor of gin then yeah go vodka that's fine yeah there's always the pine needles complaint about it sure if you hate that that's fine also yes the standard is stirred not shaken if it's all liquor like shaken is usually something reserved for juicy drinks Mm. because otherwise you end up with like ice chips in it and it kind of waters down the martini Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the theory around it anyway the technical term is it bruises the alcohol okay yeah which, uh, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> Why is it with juicy drinks? Is it because you can water down juice and it's still juice? I guess so, yeah. I and guess with, that's okay. And with liquor, there's sort of, you know, presumably a flavor behind it that you're supposed to taste. Yeah. Like the that, ju- I, I drink gin martinis because I think that they, they're refreshing. Mm-hmm. Like my go-to drink when I'm like out and about is a gin and tonic because like I can measure a gin and tonic. Like I can taste it know if it's strong or if it's weak yeah and then i can pace myself based on that alone sure like if i have a i don't know tequila sunrise i don't know like (laughs) they got to do a heavy pour before i like realize it or if it's juicy right (laughs) or if i get like some other cocktail i can't gauge how much liquor is in it right away right right right. i don't know and gin tonic is just clean and crisp and so so classic it's like a a popsicle yeah i don't it just i don't know it's it's easy to drink and i can gauge my level of drunkenness so i don't over drink Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i i'm a big fan of gin already i used to make myself a martini almost every day Mm -hmm. uh it was how like i would unwind after a day at work come home make a martini sip on it while watching tv or, or cruising the internet or doing whatever i wanted to do now, unlike you, yours is, is a, a moister martini. Yeah, I prefer them wet. Yes. These, these dry martinis, you know, dry just means less vermouth, which means you're just drinking cold liquor, which is which is fine. Uh, I mean, if you if you got the good stuff, mm-hmm. go nuts. Mm-hmm. But I'm a I'm more of an economical drinker. Okay. So I buy not bottom shelf, but you know, I still keep it in the <laughs> mid range there. 
quick tangent when I was at the liquor store getting this stuff today. There was a guy in front of me that was kind of cute. I was uh-huh. like, I was trying to like kind of peer around the line to like, I was like, what? I got to get the full view here. Uh, but then I saw what he was buying and it was plastic bottle of vodka. I couldn't see which brand, but it, it had a handle and was plastic. Oh dear. And two, two liters of Coke Zero. Oh. Uh, and that just killed my boner a little bit. I, I was like, "Hey, what is he in college?" Like, <laughs> I'm like, "Ugh." But ugh, you go over to his sounded... house. That's all he's got to offer you. It's like, <laughs> I'm okay actually. No thanks. Coke Zero and <laughs> nameless vodka. Ugh. ugh. Yeah. Anyway, back to the gin. Now I do like mine dry because I like the taste of gin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like for yours, I put in like you know capful or something of vermouth, swish yep. it around when I poured the the gin in. You know swirled around a little bit i put in my capful and then dumped it out over the sink uh, so just a wash yeah let it is that the technical term a wash a rinse a rinse, a rinse. Sorry, yeah and let it drip through the uh side of the the martini glass mm-hmm. i also put onions in mine so it's technically a gibson it's funny i these days i don't know i i, I feel like there's bar culture has kind of like gone downhill recently mm-hmm. and i don't think people really know how to order mm. a new trend i've been seeing a lot is like ordering mixer before the liquor so you're getting a lot of like you know orange juice vodka mm-hmm. you know, which is a screwdriver you can yeah. just call it that i'll know what you're talking about but i did have somebody recently order a gin gibson with onions <laughs> chilled served up and it's like, honey, what is served up? That I don't know. That means you put it in a shaker, chill it down, or over ice, and okay. then you serve it in stemware. Oh, so this okay. is this is up. Oh, yeah. And you don't need to order your martini up, ladies and gentlemen. They come that way. Okay. If you want it on the rocks, you gotta let me know. But if so, it, it's it's literally up. Yep. Yeah. Okay. In stemware, chilled, and it also comes chilled. It, up means chilled and in stemware, basically. Oh, okay. Good so, to know. Thank yeah, you. There you go. Yeah. Uh, rocks means with ice in it. That I knew, because yeah. I remember that from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's where I learned it. Scotch on the rocks. And I mean ice! Tunes. <laughs> so, uh, it put olives in your martini, mm-hmm. onions in mine. I like basically anything pickled. Pickled onions, fantastic, or v- yeah, vinegared up onions. I could, e- I could eat that as a snack. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, as I get older, you know... I, I like the more complex flavor mm-hmm. uh, palettes, you know, bitter and sour, or suddenly becoming more peeling than salty and sweet to me. Yeah, yeah. I used to think the idea of a savory drink was really gross. Mm. And then and that's changed in the last, I don't know, six years or so. I heard that one of the reasons that, like, we see drinks like mudslides and stuff like that is because, uh, like, in the... Babies need to drink them? <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. Like, in, like, the 60s, when you saw, like, the first generation of baby boomers turning 18 and being able to drink they started mass producing just cheap liquor Mm. to like meet this like new population demand that was like craving alcohol but this wasn't like the mad men people where they were like ordering old fashions or something like that they you know were young people didn't have a lot of money so they'd order cheap alcohol and it tasted awful yeah so then they started coming up with these sugary fruity drinks to cover it up mudslides and whatnot to cover the taste of the cheap alcohol can you imagine james bond ordering a mudslide (laughs) March slide. But yeah, going back to James Bond and his martinis, it always struck me as odd that he orders a watered-down martini and is snooty about it. Yeah. And it's like, 
if you're a spy, don't you kind of want to not stand out? Like, as a bartender, if someone ordered a drink like that, I'm, you're suddenly on my radar. You know, uh-huh. like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be keeping an eye on you. So I don't know. Not not a great way to keep a low profile there, James Bond. So I, I, I've seen all the James Bond movies. Oh, shit. I think there's two that he does actual spying in. <laughs> I guess he goes undercover in this one. Well, yeah, there's a, like a little bit of espionage in a lot of the movies, but I mean, not a lot. Most of it's him just going from place, exotic locale to exotic locale. Yeah. Banging women and drinking martinis. Yeah. I mean, that's life, really. Mm-hmm. So anyway, today's movie is what I believe to be the best James Bond movie. Oh, okay. Not necessarily my favorite, but what I, I believe to be the most quintessential James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. So this was the fifth, fifth. James Bond movie. Uh, this came after the terrible Thunderball. <laughs> uh, and this was the last one that Sean Connery did for a little while. The next one that came after this, uh, also a very fine entry on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Sean Connery took a little break from being Bond for a while. This one just, it ha- I, for me, it gets all the elements right. Mm-hmm. A, it solidifies that not every Bond element was in the preceding films. Okay. So this one, not only does it have all those elements in it, but it does it right. We've got exotic locales. Yeah. We've got Bond women. Yeah. We've got uh, an evil supervillain with, yeah. with a pretty over-the-top plot, but whatever. Yeah. I'll give it oh, to definitely. It. I'll give definitely. it to the movie. You get some stunning uh, car chase mm-hmm. slash set pieces. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got it all. Yeah. There's little things to this one, too, that sort of make it stand out above the rest. One of them being the theme song right. of You Only Live Twice. Right. Uh, sung by Nancy Sinatra here. Because Frank Sinatra passed on it, I learned. Oh, is that why? Yeah. Boy, I cannot imagine him singing that song. Yeah, it'd be weird. <laughs> I mean, the Bond song hadn't quite been defined yet. Oh, okay. Because uh, the first... Bond song was Goldfinger. Goldfinger! <laughs> Shirley Bassey. It's a classic. <laughs> Quick tangent. You're a frequent at karaoke. You host a karaoke night or, <laughs> or bartend on a karaoke night. Yes. And you know how karaoke is. Oh, I know how karaoke is. <laughs> a lot of times people are singing, nobody gives a fuck. Right. You know, comes with, with the territory of karaoke. Right, right, right. Years and years and years ago, I saw, and I'd known him previously, but, I, you know, we weren't close friends. I saw a young Jarek Hoffer oh. uh, at a local watering hole called The Crescent. and Still he, standing somehow. Yeah. <laughs> against all odds. <laughs> uh, he got up and he did Goldfinger. Oh, wow. Just knocked it out of the park. Um, well. You know. Uh, but it was one of those instances where people stopped their conversation put down their drink and like turned around to watch him do that yeah. song they're like who is singing right now that's one of those things like Jarek hoffer had that like x factor that like you wanted to watch him yeah and it like it was apparent when he did karaoke at a dive bar i could picture it yeah I no it. i mean he had the arms out he was doing the whole yeah. thing and clearly like... the heir, heir to the the shirley bassey crown <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that lady can sing <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this is the fifth entry in the Bond franchise. Bond songs had only been in the 
most previous two. Okay. Like the Dr. No and From Russia With Love just had like the Bond theme song. Oh, okay. It still had like Bond like walking out and with like the sight on him and stuff yeah. like that. But this one starts with that. Yeah. Like I feel like sometimes there's sort of a cold open and it jumps to that. But mm-hmm. this one just like, that's the first thing we see. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten when we watched Jason Lives uh-huh. that Jason yeah. walks out and he slashes at them. I was like, oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. On brand for this season. <laughs> <laughs> so the song is good. And this is sort of actually the first slower Bond song. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Shirley Bassey one's pretty, you know, pretty brassy. Yeah. Um, and then for Thunderball, it was Tom Jones. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. I remember that now. Um, I like the the string theme that comes along with it. It might also just be in the soundtrack to like. I've heard that it's it's been sampled several times. Yeah, I've heard it around. It's a good theme, and it translates really well, like into the movie. Like they, you know, once he goes to like, I mean, most of the movies in Japan, but it translates really well to like the pentatonic. Yeah, sort of what we we associate with like Asian culture. Mm-hmm. It has that sort of Asian influence sound to it. Yeah, it sounds exotic somehow. Y- yeah, so I I like the song. I've even heard it covered by like jazz bands. There's a jazz band called Sex Mob that does an awesome version of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's 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 a song that I'm just like on board with, and those sorts of things can. I don't want to say make or break a Bond movie, but uh, they add to it. It's like. If a good movie kind of has a bad song in it, it kind of just, like, taints it from the get-go. Like, when I watch Casino Royale and it's got Chris Cornell singing, I'm like, yeah. You're, like, taken out immediately. Yeah, I'm like, this is so bad. Yeah. Daniel Craig, all his songs are pretty bad, though. It's like, you got Chris Cornell. Then Quantum of Solace had Jack White and Alicia Keys, and it's, like, hip-hop-influenced. Isn't Adele next? Or Sam I- Smith? Yeah, Adele did Skyfall, which you'd think Adele would be a natural Bond song singer. Yeah. And that song sucked. It's pretty boring. Yeah. Say what you will about, like, the music of Adele. The girl's got pipes. Oh, yeah. You'd think that she could just, like, knock it out of the park. And I don't want to say that that her singing's bad in it. It's the song that's bad. Yeah. And then, yeah, Sam Smith, who... Didn't he win, like, a Grammy? He won an Oscar. He won an Oscar. Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. Academy Award winner Sam Smith. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> no. Wasn't there like a, a kerfuffle where he said like, I'm the first openly gay man to win an Academy Award and like uh, Dustin Lance Black is like, over here. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Lance Black and Tom Daly. I know. There's a sandwich I'd like to be the meat they inside of. They are, they're probably banging right now. How could they not? Have you seen both of them? <laughs> yeah, it's just probably... I had, I had a friend back when uh, Dustin Lance Black won the uh, the Academy Award, and, and he just goes, mm, gay face. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't believe in, to be to be honest, but like if anybody does, it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> I can kind of see that. If it does exist. <laughs> it exists in Dunson. <laughs> Dunson checks in. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Faye Faye Dunaway has hard gay face. (laughs) Be nice to Faye. She's had a hard time. Anyway, I could do a whole podcast just on Bond theme songs. Yeah. Part of it is that when I 
was, you know, but a youth and like discovering music for the first time, Garbage did. That's what I was gonna say. How do you feel about the Garbage one? I think that's one of the best. Mm-hmm. So Bond movies in general, more so than like any other franchise that we we've we've touched upon this season, are really like cookie cutter. Like Bond is like a series of numbers that you just have to like color in between. Yeah. Bond movies have to start out with like this specific type of song in this key and it has to be like this type of mood and it has this type of style for the opening credits of like the silhouette of women with mm-hmm. like the paisley or lava lamp type background like it has to start out with those yeah. things and like you know so more so than other franchises like that is a specific set of criteria that has to be met in order to become a bond movie yeah and when garbage did it it was just like it kismet almost like it seemed like a garbage song. Like, if you didn't tell me that it was a James Bond song, I would think that it was just, like, Shirley Manson and the gang. Yeah. Because it just seemed natural. And it was that The the World Is Not Enough came out when I was, like, 15, 16, something like that. Okay, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit younger, even. So it was, like, you know, when music is sort of new and exciting and evoking all these emotions in you. Sure. And I, I really liked Garbage at the time, so, like, the idea that they did... I still like garbage. Like I, think I do too. Really well. um, I'll defend that band. I, don't know, I even remember the video really well. Oh wow! I mean, Madonna did the next Bond song, and that was. <laughs> <laughs> Madonna's had it hard. Let's. Uh... You know, I'll be nice. I'm in a nice mood. I'm in a forgiving mood. Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess. God, we haven't even talked about this specific movie yet. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the the song itself, "You Only Live Twice." Solid song. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're doing it chronologically. Like sure. This is the, the first part of the movie. Okay, okay, okay. James Bond is also a th- one of those things that, like, as opposed to really maybe anything else uh, you've done so far this season of sequels, that's, like, has, like, a real hardcore nerd fan base, mm, I think. Because, mm, mm. uh, like, because it goes back More so, so far. More so than Harry Potter? Well, but it goes back for so long. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, James Bond fandom could be your grandfather's thing, you yeah. know? Oh, so it's definitely. like, yeah, maybe one day Harry Potter will reach that. But it's like, yeah, and Harry Potter fans are rabid now. But that's only been around for 20 years, you yeah. know? Like, James Bond has been around since the like, early 60s. Yeah, I think Dr. No came out in 61, 1960, yeah. 61, something so, like that. So, I mean... They've had time to really build this franchise and rebuild it and Mm -hmm. reshape it, reboot it. And I remember watching James Bond movies with my dad when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. So it's like they've been around. Yeah. And like when you watch them now, it's sort of fun to see how the formula itself hasn't changed. Like there are, you know, technical advancements, obviously, and things like that. But the overall formula still seems pretty much the same. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not hating on it. Like, sometimes that's all you want. You just want, like, a yeah. James Bond film. I guess this brings me to this point. Do you subscribe to the theory that James Bond is not an actual person, but just a code name? Oh, yeah. I have heard that, which, let me just say this. I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like, that's fine. Like, that would explain, like, why James Bond himself can sort of go throughout the years being the same 
person, mm-hmm. but like we've had different M's and we've had different Q's and you know things like that. Yeah, I just don't think that it it needs that level of continuity to it. Like the James Bond movies are all sort of standalone enough. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to really watch them in order to get a Bond movie. The only thing that sort of cuts a hole in that is that George Lazenby. Uh, and on Her Majesty's Secret Service got married, and then Roger Moore visits that grave in For Your Eyes Only. So... Well, but I still think that that could work because it's like if he finds... If the new James Bond, Roger Moore, finds out... You know, like, he, this new James Bond never had a wife, and so he's visiting the wife of a former James Bond. I don't know. (laughs) I like thinking about it because I think it's, I like the idea that like once you've given over to this lifestyle, you have to give up your identity. Mm. Like you're basically just like a tool of uh, MI6. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that also explains why like villains get really upset when they're like, James Bond. I thought he was (laughs) dead. dead. Yeah. (laughs) So yes, he was, but you know, they just made a new one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be, it's not in any of the literature or any of the movies oh no but, yeah but it's fun. Um, i think it's fun to think of it that way <laughs> i mean it would definitely explain a lot of things james bond's had a lot of bullets shot at him over the oh years he actually died at the very beginning of this movie <laughs> the <There's all> plot <laughs> in order to make the enemies drop their guards but so in this movie James Bond movie, there's always a lot of plot. Plot never really matters. No. I watched this with Tim, and at one point he's like, no, so what's going on? It's like, And I just said, I don't know, I'm going to read the plot summary later. <laughs> it's like someone stealing like nuclear material or missiles and, and weaponry Spacecraft. from, yeah, from space. space. <laughs> and, you know, the Americans think it's the Russians, and the Russians are trying to blame japan and yeah there's like some like international Cold War. is hardly the focal point of a bond movie <laughs> this isn't a, a ludlum novel here like we're you know we're watching it for the car chases and we're watching it for the sexy dames and yeah we're watching it for the fight sequences like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and the gadgets and you know the <laughs> the aforementioned uh box ticking yeah exactly <laughs> So no, it's like, yeah, somebody's stealing space stuff and Bond's got to get to the bottom of it. And part of his getting to the bottom of it is faking his death so that people think that he's dead. Right. I'm sure there's a very good reason (laughs) that I did not bother to look up. Raul Dahl didn't bother to write that in. So he wrote the screenplay, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. So we, we, we get into it and I would like to specifically address... Two elements that could be seen as problematic. Okay. Specifically, movie from the 60s about, you know, Japanese culture. I can see how that goes awry pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's a Bond film. And in this specific landscape of heightened awareness concerning sexual assault uh-huh. and sexism in general, uh-huh. this movie seems like it could... Uh, uh, Send off a lot of alarms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some. There were definitely some moments that uh, that I was worried. Moments about. Moments like at the beginning when James Bond is in Hong Kong and he's like, "Why do Chinese girls taste different from all other girls?" Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, her uh, her stilted English is 
not not necessarily the stilted English of someone who has trouble speaking English English as so much as somebody who's acting like mm. they don't know how to speak English well. So my when I first watched this years ago, I had the opinion and I I actually think I still stand by it is that the racial stuff for being from like the mid to late 1960s mm-hmm. actually isn't that bad. You got to remember like we were in a war that the whole world was involved in with yeah. Japan 20 years earlier. Yeah. And the idea that it's actually sort of embracive of Japanese culture. Yeah. We're not going to have like the Ho Chi Minh Olympics anytime soon. <laughs> but like, you know, Tokyo hosted the Olympics in like 1964. Oh, yeah. So like a couple years before this movie came out. And, you know, we're not going to be having, like, the Afghanistan Olympics or anything like that. You know, yeah, but, but, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, America as a culture wouldn't be on board with, like, a Middle Eastern Olympics sort of situation. Right, right. Or even, like, filming something in, like, Syria, filming a movie or something. Right. Whereas, like, this is actually filmed in Japan. And, like, the idea that uh, other than, like, when James Bond turns his nose up at Siamese vodka. Which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's actually sort of, like, it, it might be sort of you know, uh, in a non-sexual term, like fetishizing the exoticism of Japan. Yeah. But I mean, I would just imagine that after the the Tokyo Olympics, there was probably just a bunch of people who were sort of intrigued by Japanese culture and wanted more exposure to it. And, you know, it's the 60s. What are you going to do? You're either going to fly there or go to a movie where they're they're in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this just kind of capitalized on that. I'm actually really surprised you didn't mention that when he goes into... Uh, undercover as a Japanese person. Oh, I'm, which, I'm, get, I'm getting to that. Uh, also, I feel could have gone a lot worse than it did. So that's my thing is, is last week when we were talking to the Deadbeat Film Society yeah, yeah. and I mentioned this and Kevin over there was like, oh God, like they put him in yellow face and stuff like that. Really, as far as yellow face goes, this was on the very tasteful yeah, end of the spectrum. Yeah, they put a black wig on him. Well, like, there's a part where it's like they look like they're gonna like do surgery on him or something, yeah. And it looks like they're putting something over his eyes, and it's like I was oh, nervous. God. I was really nervous. <laughs> but it's just like thicker eyebrows. Yeah, and and a wig. Yeah, which which then leads to a problematic plot point in the movie where it's like, does he even look Asian? Would you pass? <laughs> I don't think he'd have passed for Asian now. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> The, yeah, the big complaint is that he's he's not Asian enough by his yellow yeah, face. Yeah, and they, I mean, they shaved his chest or something. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, not quite, not quite believable. Yeah, it's like when you think that, you think of like Mickey Rooney in oh, Breakfast no. at Tiffany's. I was worried about that. Like would... that's what like. Oh no! When I de- when I initially <laughs> saw this movie, I was like, oh no! <laughs> and it wasn't like it was yeah. actually fine. And I'm sure that, you know, you find, like, uh, uh, adult Asian male, like, in America, and I'm sure that they have the complaint that, like, they are stereotyped as, like, being submissive or weak or anything like that. Sure, like, yeah. Asian men, especially straight Asian men, have, like, problems, like, finding dates among... There's a real like, stigma, yeah. Yeah. But that's not how this movie portrays Asian men, especially when James Bond goes to, like, training camp. <laughs> They're fucking shown as badasses. Like, there's that one dude who's like breaking like the block of ice with, with his, his face yeah. or his head. 
Like, no, they are not shown as, like, weak or submissive. Like, they are shown as, like, tough as fuck. Ninja training camp. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know, that, like, not every Japanese person is a ninja, but... Uh, <laughs> that castle that they, like, are training at, too, is really beautiful. I didn't write down the name of it, but I want to go there. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, that's one of the exotic locales that's, like, when they're checking off that box. It's like, yeah. good job. I don't think I've ever seen it before, too. Yeah, I don't like, think I... I don't, or since. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've seen anything cool else. spot. Another example of that them doing it well is like the sumo match. Oh yeah, looked really cool. Yeah, and it looked authentic. I think those were actual sumo wrestlers. They tossed salt around the yeah the, uh, ring. They're actually wrestling the yeah. way sumo wrestlers wrestle, where they like use their bellies to try and push them out, and like the ring looks really cool too. There's like that like long pan where we see mm. the huge stadium where they do it and. Uh, I don't know. That was that was really cool to me. I don't think I've ever actually. I mean, I've seen footage of sumo wrestling, but never like treated so lovingly before. To me, like there's a few sort of problematic lines here and there, but overall, uh, just just thinking about like the the jingoism in American culture concerning like Middle Eastern or even like there's like lingering stuff about Vietnam. Yeah, that as a society is still like a, a point of contention. Whereas, you know, we were in a big war with Japan and 20 years later, like this big budget blockbuster is set in Japan and it's like it shows like their whole culture very lovingly. Yeah. Like, it's not like adversarial or like demeaning to them and like it's embraceive of their culture. Yeah. We are also two white Americans talking about this. So if there's anybody who has a differing opinion, please chime in. Yeah. I, I mean, the... <laughs> It's not totally sparkling clean. Like, it doesn't get through, like, the racism that, like, you know, with no tarnishes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's still, like, a few problematic things here or there, but, like, it could have been so much worse. And by and large, it's actually, like, pretty, like, embraceive in its own way. To to quote Danny DeVito as the penguin in Batman Returns. Still could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. (laughs) That being said... (laughs) The sexism in this movie <laughs> is super rampant. Dear. Like, not... This does, movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> Even though there's plenty of women. <laughs> With names. Yeah, it, uh... Even when they're being embraceive of Japanese culture, they seem to make it aimed towards their common sexism. In Japan... Men always come first. Women come second. I might just retire to here. And then they go to that bath, that bathhouse, and it's just like, and yeah, they just these, start scrubbing. She pours these, a bucket of water on him. These and, courtesans or these uh, <laughs> concubines or whatever come and start like scrubbing them down. He's like, your English girls would never perform this simple service. It's like, <sighs> oh boy. <laughs> and then he like picks one for like the private no. massage oh, oh I, I wrote this down because he has a gun he goes i'll just settle for this little old lady here good choice she's very sexy for me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like sexiful is that a word <laughs> uh, yeah oh, that's right yeah, it's not it's not great. I mean, and even with like just Money Penny, which he always has sort of a flirty fun relationship with. Yeah. It just feels gross. Yeah. Cuz he's obviously has more power over her. Oh yeah. She's just uh, you know, an administrative assistant. <laughs> and uh, who isn't? 
she gets she just has to put up with it yeah when i watched all the bond movies like in a row i used to i would watch one bond movie every sunday and it was like for 25 weeks or something yeah this one definitely struck me as probably the most sexist of them Mm. like it was definitely the most sexist up to that point and then i struggled to find more sexist ones afterwards even by like the the low bar of all-inclusive gender sensitivity and bond movies this one like hits the floor yeah it's not great when bond is meeting up with uh the head of that chemical company and he's smoking you should give up smoking cigarettes are very bad for your chest mr ozato believes in a healthy chest really and he looks at her and the camera is framed so it's like basically cutting off her head and only her boobs are there I think this was at a time when, uh, like, Hollywood movies... I don't even know if this was a Hollywood-produced movie, but, like, movies in general weren't aiming for, like, the quad demo. (laughs) They were like, this one is solidly the upper right quadrant, and we're fine with that. Yeah. (laughs) If we can get a bunch of old men to come to this movie, we're good. Yeah. You know? I mean, it must have worked. I kept making them. I mean, it was a huge success. Yeah, you know, what's not to like? <laughs> it made a lot of money for, in 1967. I think it was like $111 million worldwide. Oh, really? Yeah, on a $10 million budget, which is insane oh, for 67. Crazy. I know, right? It's bonkers. That's crazy. And it made back 10 times that, so. Woo! I know. Man. Rolling it. Bro- broccoli, whatever. Charles Broccoli, whoever the producer was, <laughs> is just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's some sweet dough. <laughs> Do you know anyone with the last name of Broccoli? No. Is that a, is that a lineage that died out? <laughs> well, it's like, a, what was it? When we watched uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, I was like, whose name's Kermit anymore? Yeah. Like, that used to be people's name. <laughs> Kermit. Just, where, where are the Kermit Broccolis these days? Where are the Adolphs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good Anglo-Saxon name that really died off there. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. Another James Bond thing I guess we haven't really talked about is like the high style of the places that they go to. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of really cool furniture and like just cool buildings that he visits and things like that. And they're always like try to keep it modern and and up to date. So he goes to this like chemical corporation at one point and kind of sneaks in. And there's this really cool office with like these amazing couches that he eventually uses to (laughs) fight with. Yeah. He picks up the couch and is like hitting him with it like a baseball bat. Yeah, solid stuff. That was that's great. I really, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> that yeah, nice. that was great. Of the eras that have tried to be like ultra modern, I think the late '60s did it the best. Yeah, uh, just that um, office was cool. Just whatever they thought the future was going to be like, that's what I wish the future ended up as. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I don't think any like. Any any period in time has has accurately predicted stylistic trends oh, God, no. in furniture or fashion, but if there was one that I wish did come true, it would be like the late sixties idea of like the future. Just chrome, glass, black leather, <laughs> mm-hmm. sh- like shag carpets. All things on my sex costumes. <laughs> Just shag carpet head to toe head to toe with the crotch exposed. <laughs> That was you running around this year. Oh, okay. You made a lot of papers. <laughs> so, 
it ends up that like they've been launching out of this extinct volcano crater yes in japan somewhere on an island and uh there's like a huge it looks like a lake in there but like it's it pulls back and pulls forward whenever people need to enter into there and then you come into there's this huge bunker with like a train running in it and like a launch station and it's like this is a huge feat of engineering uh-huh. and that no one noticed. That no happened. one noticed. <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's amazing. What to do me. they do with all the dirt that was down there? Right. How like, did that go? Concrete up there. Rainbows. How the fuck do they work? I mean, <laughs> it's just nuts. And I liked that, that, you know, they, they were doing imaging of it at, at some point. Cause they're like, Oh no, we've taken pictures of it. Everything looks the same, <laughs> but it's like, You'd never be able to get away with that these days. No, never. I mean, Google's Google's on that. Yeah, this this is the first Bond movie where uh, Blofeld is. I think it's the first one where you actually see him. Mm. You see like his arm, sort of a Doctor Claw from Inspector Gadget style. It's your next time, Gadget. In from Russia with Love. Okay. But you don't get a, a look at him until this movie. Mm-hmm. Played by Sir Donald Pleasance. Uh, Pumaman. <laughs> the Puma Man. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, I mean this best is... known as, as Dr. Loomis from the Halloween movies. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, He's also the inspiration for um, Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. Yeah. Like, yeah. clearly. Yeah. He was also the president of the United States in Escape from New York. Which good on America for voting for a British guy for president. <laughs> you know, with voters these days, I'm not going to put it past them. I thought the cat as an actor was really good. There was one scene where like cat was freaking the I fuck. I know out. that's what I want to say is like there was one. There was only one time where it was like, "Get me the fuck out of here." It was like there was an, he was because he was in the control room and there was an explosion that went off while he's holding the cat, and the cat's like, "Nope, no, no." <laughs> Donald Pleasance is just like you can tell, just strong arming it into. I know. I was thinking. I was like that. That cat is definitely like clawing into his flesh. <laughs> I mean, you know how cat claws are. There's no level of like padding or clothing that their claws can't get through. Yeah. And it's like you know that those like claws had to be like tweezered out of his bicep. <laughs> Did you ever see um, Pinky the Rescue Cat? He's a very loving cat. I don't think so. It's no. Like, this guy, he's he's like, I'm, you know, there's like new local news broadcaster, like, here's the pet of the week kind of thing. And like this one's like, he's like, this is Pinky. He's a very sweet cat. And then Pinky flips out and just like proceeds to just fly around on a leash, like jumping everywhere, eventually like tangling himself around the guy's leg, just like clawed in. I highly recommend it. Pinky the cat, I'm sure is all you need to Google. I hope that cat found a home. I do too. <laughs> this was years ago now, so. Cat's probably dead is what you're probably saying. Probably dead, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a downer. To jump back to the sexism real quick. Mm-hmm. So when Blofeld is meeting with the head of that chemical company. Yeah, yeah. With his busty secretary. Uh-huh. And he's like, it wasn't my fault. I told my secretary or I gave my secretary strict orders to kill Bond. And... uh like the the president of the company walks away, but like when the secretary walks after, that's the one that gets dunked in the piranha she tank. She dies, even though she's the one who had to jump out of a fucking plane. Um, oh yeah, that's right, the plane crash. Mine. Like she, 
she gave due diligence. Yeah, like, she really tried. <laughs> if, if if Bond still lived, it wasn't for lack of trying. Like she she gave it her all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, she like tricks him into a plane, locks him in it, and then jumps out yeah. as the plane's Throws supposed a flare to crash in there, and then just like later. And yeah, she's the one that gets punished for God. <laughs> Not cool. Wow, that is just wildly sexist. <laughs> just crazy sexism there. I read that there had to be so there had to be three Bond girls, two of which had to die, and one who's like the one who survives. And okay. so there's like there's always um the one who's like an accomplice, like a friend, and she always has to die, which was the one who got the string poison, I think. And then the aforementioned redhead, who um. I don't know, had sex with him before she tried to kill him for reasons unknown. You gotta get that sweet D before, uh... <laughs> Is he that irresistible? I don't know. Anyway, Sean Connery was Mr. Universe? When? Like, before making movies. Oh. Um, He's got some dad bod going on here. I mean, this dates back to a time when Mr. Universe was, like, the, the criteria was, like, symmetry and, like artful things like how much is this man like a greek sculpture and like it was like it was that way for years until arnold schwarzenegger came around he's like i'm huge uh-huh. and then it just became like who's the fucking biggest mm. but no if you look you can google it like there's pictures of sean connery when he's like 23 24 like competing in mr universe Looked all right. I'll look into it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Zardoz, so it's like, I feel like I've seen it. So, (laughs) Zardoz was the movie that he made right after this. (laughs) Like, I guess Connery hated playing Bond. Like, just despised it. I can can see that. It seems like every Bond has sort of gone through that, with the exception of maybe Roger Moore. Daniel Craig, I know, has said that he'd, like, rather die than do another Bond movie. But then he made another one. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, Connery, like, fucking hated it. Uh, and according to to Kevin uh, from Deadbeat Film Society, it was because like they'd never paid him as much as he wanted, mm. and Zardoz wrote him that check that he wanted. <laughs> Zardoz, which had a budget of two million dollars, one million dollars went to Sean Connery. Jesus, man, and you feel it. In it that movie. shows, yeah. Really. So James Bongo, and then the third one is the uh, the one who survives, and so that's the one he marries. Mm-hmm. Who is funny because like when he does marry her, and then he like moves into her house, he's just like, "Are you live here alone?" Yes, my parents are dead. It's just like <laughs> I didn't ask that, <laughs> and uh, you seem a little defensive about that. <laughs> uh, circling back to sexism for the third time. <laughs> Uh, it was also when uh, it was like he was going to have to look like he was married. For oh, the- I know what you're going to say. You must marry Amagel, one who is known on the island. Is she pretty? <laughs> she has a face like a pig. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's like they're not even trying to not be sexist. And she was beautiful. And then they yeah, did Yeah, I mean, she she was. I, I, I couldn't tell if it was like a cultural thing like they actually thought that she was ugly or if they were just yanking his chain yeah because they because they do that thing where it's like i don't know they were like in a, in this wedding they because it goes on for quite a while where like they bring in a woman and with her head bowed and then she brings it up it's an old woman yeah and it's an old woman and you can just like feel james bond being like oh no um, not her and then she walks away and then like <laughs> another one comes up oh no yeah. not her not another old woman <laughs> 
and it's not her and then finally this one and then that's the one he marries but it's just like <laughs> i don't know it it, it was a little painful <laughs> it, it was a little miss america yeah it was a little uh little bathing suit contest yeah and later where she's seen wearing a bathing suit for the rest of the movie oh yeah yeah probably mm. i don't think the james bond movies have ever gotten points in the you know uh gender sensitivity realm yeah it's just this one in particular it's like for like all all the the uh like ethnic and cultural uh inclusivity that it seems to go for mm-hmm. it's like oh we got to balance this out by making it super sexist so <laughs> yeah that'd be too much people won't <laughs> yeah. go to the theater for that we we this is 1968 we cannot be woke <laughs> Did you like the movie at all? Like James Bond I movies did, aren't everyone's bag. Uh, I did. I like. I mean, I like James Bond movies. I have not seen them all. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there's some real stinkers. This one kind of fell in the middle, upper middle for me. Okay. It kind of lost some steam once everything started happening in the crater for me. Like, oh, I just okay. feel like that sequence went on for a little too long. I just felt like there was a lot of shots of like the lake roof moving open and moving oh, clothes okay. that could have been cut and like i mean maybe just, it was cooler back in the day or something yeah i don't know there's just sequences and that could have i think that could have been tightened up a little bit but yeah for the most part i did i can't hate too hard on a movie that picks up a car with a helicopter <laughs> magnet and drops it in the ocean you're already a good movie at that point like it can only go up yeah, from there, yeah. So. <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned how I think this is the best Bond movie, but not necessarily my favorite. Yeah, I actually feel if you watch the first three Daniel Craig movies, it's Skyfall, like, mm-hmm. is the best. Like, w- when you watch Skyfall with the previous two movies, like, still kind of fresh in your system, that movie kind of takes on like a different level. And it's just because, like, when you watch it, you realize that there's like a whole arc going through those. I mean, the arc goes through Spectre, the fourth one, but I don't like that one movie very I much. I thought Spectre was kind of dumb, yeah. <laughs> You'd think Christoph Waltz would make a perfect Blofeld, but they made him like this ergonomic sort of thing. I don't know. I didn't, it didn't I didn't work. Go yeah, for it didn't it. work for me either. But Skyfall, in the context of the previous two films, like I think it's enriched by having the previous two like still in your system. Mm-hmm. Like it's a good movie by itself, but with the other two, it's a better film. So if I were to choose my favorite, it would be Skyfall, but only having watched the previous two you know shortly before with, with a little asterisks after it yeah but like if i were really to show someone like what i think james bond like really is about head to toe this is the one i would go with sometimes it was a slog to work through the franchise but other times it was just a blast like yeah. they're just good popcorn movies so loving it <sighs> <laughs> coming up next week i don't really know how to preface this movie it's a controversial pick not necessarily from uh from my standpoint but uh from other critics my last pick of each season i try to pick a movie that's very near and dear to me and like near the top of my list things i really like um and so this time around i'm choosing happiness the todd salons <laughs> movie <laughs> your happiness we were just talking about how we're in a, a period of like heightened awareness concerning like sexual assault, and you're picking a movie that like tries to, to, to make the audience empathize with a 
pedophile rapist? Well, see, I would argue that that's all part of the setup of a joke because it's the best, in my opinion, dark comedy movie ever made. Boy, <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you, I think see. we're just walking into like a hive's nest here. <laughs> we're going to get some letters, <laughs> which is fine. We're going to get some death threats. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'll premise God. it with uh, I'm I do not condone pedophilia. I do like this movie though, <laughs> so it is possible to do both, <sighs> folks. Do to do. There we go. That's it. <laughs> Happiness next week. Uh, should we plug our junk? Let's do it. Go to our new website, xratedmovies.com. Yeah, you can uh, you can also find our contact information on there amongst our episodes archives coming up next all that good stuff it's good stuff and we're working on a uh what would you call it like a um staff picks staff picks section so um if you're ever curious as to where to start or if you're looking for a specific type of movie to watch that'll be the area check into that check into that it's 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 coming if it's not if not already up by the time this this posts we'll see yeah but you can you can contact us reach out to us about how you feel (laughs) This movie treated women or Asian culture <laughs> at Twitter or X rated movies, or you can send us an email x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And uh, follow us on Facebook. It's the best way to sort of find out what's coming up next at rated X movies. And if you liked what you heard or you hated what you heard or you were meh about how, what you heard, you can give us some stars in Apple Podcasts or write a review. We love all that. Or both. Or both. Preferably both. You know, or even just subscribe. Tell your friends. <laughs> tell your person who checks your ID at the U-Scan. Tell your boss. Tell your sister. Yeah. Tell your hookup. Like, sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're loving everybody who's <laughs> listening, and we're loving spreading it. Yeah. Like peanut butter. <laughs> I guess Chunk you're smooth. Smooth? Really? You say that like you got some emotions behind Listen, it. Listen, if it's... Chunky is just half ground peanut butter. It's like you didn't finish the job. We'll save that for another podcast. This is like salty caramel all over again. Oh, God. Do you have to open up that wound? <laughs> I was dead and buried, Ryan. <laughs> and we won... I won that argument. I don't think you did. I got one... Twitter follower to take my side. <laughs> you had none. Come on, people. We, we know that salted caramel is disgusting. Reach out. Reach Boo. out. <laughs> Boo. Someone, someone, someone back me up here. I'm counting on you to put that boo drop in here. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a mix of boo yays. Okay. Uh, anyway. Anyway, next week, watch us squirm as we try not to uh, celebrate pedophilia and rape, and, amongst other problems the movie has. <laughs> with uh, happiness. With happiness. <laughs> Until then, keep it stirred, not shaken. Bye. Bye. Bye.